0: To the RN to Writer Show, where nurses learn how to become freelance writers. I'm your host, Elizabeth Haynes, RN. If you'd like more tips on how to launch and grow a freelance writing business, be sure to visit our website, rn2writer.com. And hey, you can catch this show on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Today, we're happy, delighted, thrilled to welcome my longtime CPA and friend, Jason Deshades. He is both a CPA, a PFS, and a CFP, which he'll explain to us in a little bit. He's the director of tax planning at Cook Wealth in Raleigh, North Carolina. Cook Wealth helps clients with everyday finances, family legacy planning, tax planning, debt management, investment management, cash flow optimization, business transactions, and basically anything financially related. Jason has a wealth of knowledge and experience in accounting and finance. Before joining Cook Wealth, he worked as an accounting advisory senior manager with Elliott Davis and as a senior manager with the Association of International Certified Professional Accountants. Prior to that, he worked in public accounting for 14 years, five years as the owner of a small boutique firm in Albuquerque, which is where we met originally, where he provided tax accounting and consulting advice to individuals and closely held businesses with a focus on professional services, medical and veterinary practices, individual taxation and business startups. I'm skipping down now. In 2011, you were honored as one of New Mexico's 40 under 40, which I think you're saying you're no longer under 40. I am no
1: longer qualified for that anymore. Yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway, Jason enjoys spending time with his wife, Tina, who's a nurse, by the way. Mm-hmm. His sons, Levi and Micah, and their daughter, Glory, and their dogs. And Jason likes to travel. Acrylic painting is your hobby. I didn't even know that. We've known each other all this time, and I didn't know that. I think I have one like I can even record, bring out. Yeah. Awesome. Welcome <laughs> to the show, Jason. I'm thrilled that you're here. Thanks for being on.
1: Thanks, Beth. This is a, always a pleasure to talk to you. It's always fun to talk about this topic, so I'm excited to be here.
0: I'm peeling this off now. My camera is going to go boing. Well,
1: there, there's the picture. That's one of them. So there you go. Ooh,
0: I love that. How long have you been doing that?
1: Um, I would say it was probably about eight, nine years, I think. Um, this was one of the uh, counterintuitive, non countedy things I did that my wife got me into. She said, hey, you spend all this time doing like this left brain, real analytical kind of process oriented job because, you know, when you're doing tax returns, there's a process and when you're dealing with money. There's a process and she goes, well, you try something different. So we did one of those paint and wine nights uh, and had a great time. And so that's kind of where it started. So I do that with my kids and I do like art for them and the oh. in their bedroom and stuff. So how
0: fun. I will yeah, it's pretty different
1: one for Christmas. I, I can make that happen.
0: I love it. I love when people send me art. I have art hanging on my wall that my friend did. And I have a paint. I have many paintings that my uncles have done. Well, that's cool. Fantastic. Anyway, let's get back to business. <laughs> that's why we're here. People that's right are like, here. You know, move it along, move it along. Um, Tell us what these initials behind your name stand for.
1: Well, you know, we're starting to collect acronyms behind my name uh, where I have enough that eventually I will have more acronyms than I actually have a name. Um, So CPA is easy. That's certified public accountant. PFS is a personal financial specialist. That's an AICPA credential tied to the CPA. And then the CFP is a certified financial planner. And that's a separate designation um, that's pretty well all of them required a pretty rigorous exam process. Um, so I've had the CPA for 18, 19 years now, and then, um, I became a CFP in 2020. And a lot of the work I was doing in my practice in New Mexico was, was really close to that financial planning part, but we never took it the next step. And so coming over to Cook Wealth was allowed that kind of kind of getting over the goal line and actually get more engaged in the financial planning process. Those long tied in with all the tax and consulting that we were doing.
0: Cool. Yeah. I remember our first meeting at your office. I decided when I I decided to go full-time freelance as I was transitioning out of Mm -hmm. nursing. Uh, As you know, I had freelanced part-time for a long time, but then in 2009, I set up an LLC and Decided to be very business-like about this, so I came to see you to get pre-launching, you know, advice. And in my programs and my coaching and and courses, this is the the strategy that I teach other nurses um, is to set up a business entity and Mm -hmm. consult an accountant, a CPA, and a lot of times nurses say to me, you know, I don't, I don't see the point of that, or I can't afford that or whatever. So could you speak from your perspective about what a CPA can help you with before you're even mm-hmm. generating income?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to just, I'm also dispel one thing. So there's an accountant, the term accountant can be a, a lot of things. So you can be a CPA. That's probably, I, I would say the highest threshold in terms of like, Rigorous exam, you know, from a technical perspective, there's an enrolled agent there that is the a person who is able to represent you in front of the IRS. So if, um, so that's actually an IRS test. Uh, they have continued that IRS produces and that kind of thing. And then there's just an accountant. Now, that does not mean they're not capable. Right. There are some fantastic accountants. Um, Uh, one we know mutually that are are not CPAs or enrolled agents and they can operate just fine. It just really has to do with their technical expertise, but they don't have a license or a certification. So there's times where people kind of lump their account. It can be any of those people if it's the right person. Um, So generally how I kind of look at like our role when we fit in that accountant CPA role is that we're there to coach and guide and provide a little bit of infrastructure that can be built upon. And for me, I've always believed that the more infrastructure you have that's well-established on the front end, the better things can scale, right? If you just kind of like slap it together with uh, duct tape and bubble gum and you're like, oh, great, I want to make this great business. This is really going to hum with a couple employees and we're going to make this into a seven-figure endeavor. But all that stuff is just held together very precariously. It's not going to do it. Then you have to restart everything. So you got to start over with another entity. You have to create an entity later. You have to change your banking. You got to do all this hassle to reset everything. So one of the things we do is we help coach on that. It's like, here's the process you start now. It's a scalable process. But the, as you grow, it will grow with you just fine. And I, and I think I remember way back then you used, what well, was say it was books or something or some invoice I think for it your was invoicing.
0: Wave. Oh, yes,
1: wave. You're right. It was wave. Um, and that is fine for a freelancer, but not a freelancer is going to try and really grow it because it really wasn't built to be that robust of a system. But you could pivot a little bit and up on a different system that can, has. I think you've been on uh, QuickBooks Online for what has probably been eight years now. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is a scalable process and you can add on functionality that fits your business as you need to, but you've got the core system that's in place already. So I I think that's kind of the big part is even for your revenue generating, we can usually manage a few of the beginning parts, make them really last for a long time and avoid random little hiccups that then come and bite you later. Um, Depending on your specific state or how you set your business up, you may have certain things you have to do ahead of time, which you really don't think of. But if you have someone who deals with this on a regular basis, they're aware of those things and they can kind of like, hey, don't do X. Because if you do that, you're going to be getting noses for the next two years.
0: Absolutely. I know one of the biggest things that I came and whined to you about was I don't know how to calculate my quarterly withholding or what they now call quarterly estimated tax payments. Mm -hmm. Um, That to me was really baffling as a freelancer. And you and I worked out a way to just sort of do an end around that. But how how can freelancers figure that out for themselves? Um, do they need to be, does everyone have to be paying quarterly estimated withholding? And if so, how much?
1: So I'll tell you the the, the best tax answer in the entire world It's it depends. And the reason for that is because every person has a different circumstance, right? So most business um, organizational types, whether you're a sole proprietorship, which is where you literally say, I am taking in uh, business as me, as a person. I'm Jason Deshays. I am a freelancer and and someone just writes me a check versus a corporate or LLC entity, S corp or partnership or whatever. Most of those uh, tax forms will ultimately, you personally will pay the tax bill. But that means it's subject to your personal tax situation. So let's say you have a spouse who's a $600,000 year cardiologist, your tax bills look a lot different than someone who's not married or has four kids or in, has a very large house that has a lot of debt or gives a lot to charity. So that's where all the personal circumstances really work there. You can do some rule of thumb. Generally, you can kind of take your tax rate plus your state tax rate plus about, let's eh, say 15%. Uh, for self-employment taxes if you're if you're uh, like freelancing and you have a Schedule C. And you can kind of say, okay, that's the net. If after all the expenses are paid, if I save that much, that percentage of my net, I should have enough to cover the tax bill. Um, but I'm always a big advocate for working collaboratively with your accountant to help craft that. As you mentioned, there's, there's workarounds. Maybe you do estimate payments. Maybe you have it through payroll because you're organized as an S corporation. And so there's some flexibility. But that's where you can kind of work on that, And there's going to be times where you've got some real peaks and some real valleys. So if you look at, it, at some point, you'll say, oh, we're at break even or or like making a 100 bucks this year and then wait till the second, you know, third and fourth quarter wrap up. And all of a sudden you're very profitable. So that's where you can kind of mix and mingle uh, on your planning strategies and kind of figure out what you want to. Shoot for in that case. And, and, and I think your point about estimate payments being weird is 100% accurate because most people grew up in their working career getting paid by somebody, right? It's the hospitals paying you. If, you know, your your you know, cohorts are nurses. So they've been either working in a hospital, in a clinic, or somewhere where someone took out money, paid it to the government on their behalf, and you get one little W 2 for the year and everything's taken care of. And maybe you owe a little bit, maybe you get some back. But that's not the case when you're self-employed. No one's putting that money in but you. So you got, you know, it takes a little bit of rethinking of how you process money. Those checks are not all yours. Part of it belongs to the government. So you want to make sure you get it in their hands so that you don't have to deal with nasty grams down the road.
0: Man, that is something that I definitely, you know, I'm, I'm careful in my Coaching course materials to say I'm not a lawyer or an accountant and I am not giving (laughs) advice. But I tell people the smartest thing you can do is in the beginning, I think every payment you receive from a client that you stash a percentage of that off for future taxes because that's a huge mistake people make. You get excited, you get that first thousand dollar check, you run off, you splurge and spend it all. And then guess what? the IRS says, oh, no, Uh, excuse us. (laughs) We (laughs) we have our finger in there, too. That didn't actually all belong to you. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) um, a question that I get, another tax thing, and uh, the answer to all of these is, like you said, it depends. And this is why I tell people, don't be cheap. Go, Go consult with a CPA or some kind of accountant, because first of all, it doesn't cost as much as you think to do that. And secondly, because every situation is unique. But a question that I get from nurses is, do I have to set up a business entity? I teach people set up a business entity, like Mm -hmm. consult an attorney, find out for, again, your circumstances, your state, what the best option is, set up a business entity. And nurses say, can't I just like just start this and do it. And then when I make some money, set up my business entity. And my answer is always, well, yes, it's your business. You can do whatever you want. But I believe if I'm not mistaken, that there are tax implications of sole proprietorship versus like having Mm -hmm. an LLC or an S-corp, correct?
1: Yeah. So it depends on the, yeah, it depends. But a sole proprietorship gives you very little flexibility. You have no flexibility. You will be taxed. As a sole proprietor, which means you have a file, a Schedule C on your personal tax return, you're going to pay income tax, state income tax, and self employment tax on those dollars. And self employment tax in itself is effectively Social Security and Medicare, but it's both halves of Social Security and Medicare. If you're used to being someone's employee, you only had to pay half of that, and then your, your employer paid the other half. So that's the default position. Now, if you have a one owner LLC, the default position is the same thing for tax purposes, but you have choices. You can elect into a S corporation, which changes how you're taxed on some of that income. Um, you could be a, a C corporation. I don't know too many people would do that. Do you have a partner that maybe makes it where you have a partnership return or not? It really just kind of depends. And I think that um, having that conversation, because usually, even if you met with an attorney for an hour and just said, I need to buy an hour of your time and I will walk through this, they'll tell you. Um, maybe you don't need to go and hire an attorney to get an LLC format based on your specific circumstances. And you can just go sign one up from their secretary of state. But you may, I mean, you may still want to do that because it depends on what the long-term play is. I, a big thing I advocate for is start with the end in mind. And that's, if I want this thing to become a growing enterprise, I should start it that way and grow it, not just like nickel and dime myself and, and I won't pay for that because that's you know two hundred bucks here, five hundred bucks here. Even if you say I make a thousand dollars, and I'm going the first thousand dollars I make, I'm going to use it to invest in the business and get some professional help. Great, do that. Um, it really, I think, is a very important way of of being being a good steward of the resources that you have. That's a big thing for me.
0: Absolutely, and I think that I love that advice to like. Envision where you want your business to go and and start there, like set Mm -hmm. it up with that vision in mind. I think also just from a motivation and success standpoint, that that's very effective, you Mm -hmm. know, because it, it is. It takes time to start up a freelance business. Specifically, I tell people all the time, this isn't a get-rich-quick scheme. Yeah, it's not exactly a get-rich-slow scheme. It's not going to take you ten years necessarily, but I mean, there's infrastructure that you have to set up yeah. and, and stuff to get this moving.
1: Well, and any person I see who starts a freelance, and if they don't have a purposeful reason to grow it, it will always be this like dabbling effect thing, where you're just like, oh yeah. I'll do that next year i'll, I'll uh, make this thing really profitable then the people i see successful in this really say i want to be doing this full time in two years and if it happens sooner great but i will i don't want to do i don't want to be putsy around five years from now doing this like really on the side i whether you want to commit to it or go with it and when they do when they have that vision amazingly, they somehow get there because they've they decided that's what they want to do rather than kind of him and hawing about the extensive um, of how, how they really get there. The other thing I, I wanted to mention to Beth, and we may end up talking about this anyway, but one of the things I want to go back to on, on getting an account is that not all accountants are built the same. Um, and I think anyone can probably experience that. Uh, it was really important as you're selecting someone to help you is to take time to interview them and like don't just blindly find a body and say oh look you can prepare my tax return because what you'll probably get is just that someone who will prepare your tax return they won't provide that that forward seeking counsel that you want you really need to find someone who upfront will say here's how we operate and have an ownership of that now, some will still charge by the hour. And that's, uh, that's pretty standard in this accounting profession is that it's a bill by the hour. So maybe on the front end of engagements or when there's heavy times or on taxes, you will pay more. Um, our practice specifically doesn't do that. We, we do um, fixed fees. So we say, here's the scope of work. Here's what you're going to pay. And we divide over 12 months, months installments. Oh, cool. That's easy. Um, but you know what you're going to get. But you also know the outcomes you expect. So you can hold people to that which I think is really important.
0: I think that is all so insightful. It's the audience is going to love that because it's so helpful to them. And so after you left Albuquerque, I had to find a new CPA and I struggled with that. Like until we re hooked up recently because I couldn't find a good fit. I couldn't find a, a, a CPA who did that counseling, they just wanted to do my taxes. And mm-hmm. I'm like, that's I need more than that. I'm very um, I I don't understand accounting. Let's just put it Nor that way. Nor should you.
1: I mean, that's the that's the thing, is like <laughs> right. we're the ones that signed up for this mess, right? And y'all didn't. I mean, as business owners, and you are forcibly gonna have to deal with it. But the smart thing to do is outsource it. And it's like bookkeeping too. I mean, unless you have an extraordinarily basic set where you get one check a month and one, one outflow it is just so much better to just pass that on to somebody. Because um, I was just speaking with a, a number of attorneys the other day um, and I was like, Di, DIY is the worst when it comes to that, because it's always like, oh, my spouse who's got free time, which I mean, I, I have a spouse and we have three kids. We ain't got free time. Uh, there is no free time in that. And it's uh, it's, but it's really important to just have someone who's responsible for it because then you can hold them accountable. You have a degree of like faith that the books are being done, at least regularly. And it's ready for when you have to make decisions, because I, I can Beth, I've worked with enough people when you have a meeting. Let's say you and I are gonna have a meeting and you're like Debbie delinquent that just doesn't want. She only does things the last minute. Guess when those numbers are going to be ready. 20 minutes before that meeting. They're worthless otherwise. There is no, very little that we can do with that because it's also on demand and pulling in data when it's, when it's convenient, but not when you need it, like when you're making real decisions.
0: Yes, and we're going to give a big shout out now to our the best bookkeeper in the world, Sarah Lay. She is fantastic. And her link is going to also be in the show notes and the description because Sarah is invaluable to my business like yesterday I had a little freak out because well not a real freak out but I was like looking at the budget which I'm going to go into next because you know I've been like struggling with Mm -hmm. the budget Um, and I was like I had categorized all these all these charges to this line item and they're not there in the current year budget versus actuals and she was (laughs) Sarah was like Oh, no, because I recategorize them where they belong. And I'm like, oh, OK, well, thank goodness. like At least <laughs> someone knows where they are because like, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. And um, could you just speak for a moment? Because I think this is a distinction a lot of people don't understand is what a bookkeeper does versus what a CPA or an accountant does. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, you may be able to find a place that does both. And that's pretty common. There's firms that will have both elements of a business. And our old practice had that. Um, a bookkeeper focuses on the day-to-day accounting. And so they're going to make sure the financials are reconciled and they're posting all the transactions, whether it's your bank account or your credit card. Um, they're posting journal entries for various things. They get your payroll posted. They handle all that day-to-day stuff. Um, generally, the next step is like a, a let's say, account CPA. I'm going to say use CPA for this purpose, but they are, Going to take those, inf- those uh, numbers and they're going to create insights from there. And they may look at a context of, you mentioned a budget, or they could look at in context of tax planning or whatever. And they're going to take that information and use it to kind of make analysis, uh, which, is, which is helpful, I think. It's not always the um, you may have somebody to do both. And some firms will do that. They'll create a package deal because they have both parts of that practice. Uh, our practice does not anymore. We leverage quality bookkeepers and accountants like Sarah um, and others to, you know, do that part and partner to get the best outcomes. Um, a lot of accountants din to even the CPAs, they're, they, if they uh, if you're just hiring someone to do your tax return, and let's say you don't keep your books. What they're going to do is they're going to throw one together and they're going to ask you for numbers and you're going to pull them out of shoeboxes or off your bank statement. And it's just kind of a a slap together mess that we'll be able to execute a tax return against. But it really doesn't have any meaning other than to report to the government. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it's um, getting a financial management team in place, Mm -hmm. like whether that's a one-stop shop, like when we first worked together and that's where I met Sarah, or whether it's putting together your own team, like I have done with you all. Um, It's just, it's invaluable. And it, I find it astonishing when um, people don't see the value of that. Like they, they only see that as like, some sort of expense, which as I said before is not even that enormous of an expense. To me, the heartache and frustration that it saves mm-hmm. me is worth way more than what I pay for all these services.
1: Well, and you don't make money doing bookkeeping. No one, mm-hmm. none of you, none of your students are making money off of bookkeeping. Attorneys don't make money off of bookkeeping. The only person who makes money off of bookkeeping is an accountant. That's right. it or bookkeeper. So what it does is it swaps out your efforts from a, a non-revenue producing administrative task, and sw- which you're not good at. Let's be honest, most people, whether you're a writer or a nurse, you're probably not trained to be a bookkeeper or an accountant. You're taking all that effort and time and headache, and you're swapping it for something that you can make money on. So let's say you can write five articles in the time it takes you to do your monthly work. Think of it that way. Stop looking at the outflow of costs. Look at the opportunity that you're missing out on that will generate revenue, and you're maybe happier doing that. You're going to enjoy doing that work, and you're going to help build your brand. Is not going to be. You're not going to build anything, futzing around with QuickBooks or Zero or whatever, and just like trying to make the parts kind of line up so you can say, "Okay, tax guy, here you go." Um, so it's really, it's a really strategic use of your efforts and your resources. And I do recommend pretty much to anybody who will listen to me um, that they just make that decision early and they'll find the outcome is so much better if they just let go of some of those things. Because, again, this is a business that you make money on your efforts, not on the hours you work, per se.
0: I'm not going to go off on a tangent of one of my favorite topics, which is opportunity cost. But I preach about opportunity costs all a, the time.
1: It's a it's a real thing. I mean, people, yes, people look at like cost outflows and, say, well, if I have to pay for that, I'll just may as well have my wife do it or whatever. It's like, well, but wh- how much do you bill an hour? I mean, I'm talking to a attorney. Oh, yeah, four or five hundred bucks. Like that would like one hour at a time to cover that. And um, I look at it too, and I don't know if you t- teach this as well, but like when I'm looking at hiring. I think of the stuff I would take for me to pay for that person. I have to get this many jobs or this many things, and that covers them for the whole year. Man, I can do that. I can get work, and I can keep myself busy and that person busy, but I don't have to do that stuff anymore. Someone who's better at can do it. I'm going to get better outputs, and I am not going to do it myself, which is a big thing.
0: I think of it exactly the same way. I was going to say the way I conceptualize money which is weird I know but it's like I say to myself in, in two assignments I can pay for all of Jason's services for the year in two assignments so it's like why would I not do that mm-hmm. like that doesn't make sense but anyway I want to touch on budgeting real quick yeah because you had made a comment to me that that struck me funny you said um oh, I like the fact that you use a budget. And I thought, doesn't everyone use a budget?
1: No, that's actually a pretty um, uncommon thing. And most people operate on kind of a mindset of like whoever's in the account is my budget, right? Wow. And they they kind of have sense of seasonality. So if your business has some sort of cycle to it where it's like, oh yeah, I'm always slow in the months of May, June, July for reasons. And every business has it, Um there's uh, in the dental space, it's October, which is like September because everyone's going back to school and no one's going to go to the dentist. In CPA practices, it's usually January and February where you're not getting paid for anything, but you're starting to work a lot. And so everyone's got those and you're aware of those, but most businesses do not have any sort of budget and budgets because budgets have a, are effectively a four letter word um people feel constrained by them like oh I can't spend because the budget won't let me I have to get this much otherwise the budget won't work and people use it as kind of a it's not an accountability tool it's not a projection tool it's really just like this thing that they have as like yeah they don't want to do it so they don't
0: yeah I get a lot of pushback on I don't I don't want to do a, a budget and I what I tell people is I'm huge on Goal setting Mm -hmm. and financial goal setting. And I always say, you cannot hit a target you have not set up. Yeah. Like, and to me, the budget is, like you said, it's a projection on the one hand, um, but it also gives me such valuable business intelligence Mm -hmm. for making sure that. You know, I was just complaining the other day, like I felt like my overhead was blooming out of control until I found out that no transactions had just been recategorized on my behalf. <laughs> they were all there. Um, but I, I, I can't. So I'm going to keep hammering this, my audience. Good. You need a business budget.
1: So here's, here's the other way you can re- reposition it because budget, again, is a four letter word, um, but like a forecast. Mm-hmm. right people don't mind forecast the weatherman tells you the forecast you kind of look forward to it it's going to be sunny on Saturday there's your four, you know think of your forecast as what is my business going to look like in the future and that's the same it's effectively the same thing right you're projecting out revenue you're projecting out expenses end up projecting out what you're forecasting your revenue your net profits going to be and you can budget for that but you can also forecast for it and so, if I've started using different terminologies just to kind of get people out of thinking of things a certain way, um, and there's lots of programs for it. If you have, uh, depending on the version of QuickBooks you use, they have a budget, again, budget, uh, feature built into it. Even if you end up in a um, more robust version, there's an advanced version of QuickBooks. There's also a platform called Fathom that's connected to QuickBooks and it's a management reporting software, and so you can put in. Break-even points. It's got little charts and graphs that it can make for you that pulls from your QuickBooks data. And basically, and zero, so you can it will feed this and it will spit out like a management report for you and tell you in your terms what what numbers are going good. Where are your things you care about? KPIs, which are key performance indicators, it will figure those out. So you want X number of cash? Are you getting paid quickly? You know, what what kind of certain expenses that are getting kind of high? And you can build all that stuff. Now, that's an advanced concept. That's not something everyone's going to start off on day one with, but it's something that's good. And I'll tell you um, from a personal perspective, I'm probably going to like shoot myself in the foot for this, but I did not used to have a budget in my or a forecast model practice, except like near the end before we sold it, because I started saying, I think this is where revenue is going to hit. And I could do that. And I felt really good about it. In fact, I went back one year. And I have my little methodology for calculating it. And I pretty much hit that within a thousand dollars. It was blew my mind because like, oh, wow, you can actually do this. And it was really helpful because we could figure out staffing based on that. And we could look at other things we wanted to invest in because we kind of thought, how much room do we have for this? And and it wasn't like budget says blah, $40,000. And if I, I cannot spend a dime over that it just comes out of their buckets, right? So you trade off. I thought I was going to spend X dollars on uh, office supplies and we got a good deal and it's half the cost. I'm going to repurpose some of that money to do something more strategic. So it's really just kind of helping you see your resources and say, yeah, I really want to get there. I want to budget in hiring. I want to budget in involvement in things or advertising. And that's how you're going to get there because you know how much money you got to kind of hold off to the side based on what you're making in revenue.
0: This has been such an excellent conversation. I know everyone's going to take away so much from it. I kind of I want to wrap up by saying we we know how people can find you because we're going to put your link in the description. Mm-hmm. But if someone wants to find a CPA or accountant or a bookkeeper, maybe that maybe it won't apply to bookkeepers in their local area, mm-hmm. how can they do that?
1: Well, uh, that's that's I would say there's a couple of places you can go. One, every state has a state CPA society. If you're looking for a, a, a CPA and they have like, you can search them. You can usually even call the office and you can say, Hey, I'm looking for someone in this town. Do you, what are the CPAs there? And they, they usually have a good relationship with the CPAs in their, in their state. So they can kind of usually direct you a little bit. Um, you can search. The power of Google is very compelling. And I would add levels of it, so like add, you know, freelance or writing. And and what happens is a lot of firms have optimized their sites to, if they have specialties or niches in their areas, that they will pull that regardless of where they are. So if you may end up living in Iowa and having an accountant in Florida, and that's totally fine now. I mean, power Zoom and other technology it makes it much easier to have your counsel spread out throughout the country. Um, but then I would talk to friends. And now, now I'm going a, a caveat that with saying, don't ask the person like, well, who gives you the best deal on your taxes? Because usually that gets into this like cocktail party tax plan, which is, like, oh, my God, doesn't, I don't pay any taxes. Well, first off, if you aren't paying taxes, you're doing it wrong because you're not making any money. No one, no one who makes money doesn't pay taxes. That's just a reality. But talk to them about things like what kind of experience are you having? with your CPA? What kind of things do they do to help your business? And don't, so don't ask them just person who's just coming in for their 1040 to get prepped every year. Talk to some business owners who have like actual relationships with their CPA and find out what they do. Because if they go, oh, this is great. We can do this kind of, and this is the kind of environment I want. That's why I'm looking for. Then you, that's the person you want to go and interview. Um, because there's a lot of people, and, and I'd say this, I extend this to the other elements of what we do at Cook Wealth in terms of financial advisors. There's a lot of people in this space who kind of do the minimum. They do the technical work, they do it accurately, but they're not going to go beyond that. They're going to invest your assets, but they're going to stop right there. And then you call them, otherwise they don't call you. And so that's where it really is important to talk and interview and take it as a slow process. It should not be a fast, like boom, first one I talk to, that's who I'm going to sign on. Talk to two or three, get a sense of pricing, service quality, service delivery and communication style, and then make a choice. But do that based on filtering through people, you know, and trust and other maybe business owners you work with, because they have probably got the same issues you do. So they're going to find, and they may be in the same boat looking for someone to help them in that same space.
0: Jason, thank you for taking time out today to Um, share your insights with our audience here. I know this is going to be one of the most popular shows we've done because everyone struggles with bookkeeping and accounting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I hope we've made the case to them today why it's better to just outsource this, not only for peace of mind, but like we were saying, the opportunity cost involved. Um, I'd like to thank the audience for listening today um, on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or if you're watching us on YouTube, which to me is always the best way to go. Um, I'm your host, Elizabeth Haynes. We've been chatting with Jason Deshays, CPA at Cook Wealth. You can find a bunch of links to the products we've mentioned in the description or the show notes. Some of these may be affiliate links full disclosure, which means we may make a little money if you click on them and then subsequently buy something. We thank you so much for tuning in today. And until the next episode, keep pitching.